You're listening to the Job Therapy Podcast. Brought to you by the reverse recruiters of FindMyProfession.com. It's time to get down to business with your hosts, Iris Zimmerman and Stephen Lowell. Need help finding a job? Feel like some unknown force in the universe is holding you back? Or maybe you just need career advice straight from the trenches of hiring. Then pull up a couch. It's time for some job therapy. All right, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Job Therapy. My name is Stephen Lowell. I'm here with Iris Zimmerman. Hello, everyone. And today we have our very, very first special guest. And it's a guy that I'm very excited to be talking to because we've chatted on LinkedIn a lot. He is the author of a book, Unlock Your Executive Presence. He hosts a podcast called Diversity Bites. And I know him as the connection counselor. I think I see that name more, but uh, his name is uh, Joseph Kwan. And uh, yeah, I'd like you to introduce yourself. Say hello. Hi, thanks for having me on, Stephen and Iris, a big fan of the show, uh, all the insights you bring on recruiting and, and just uh, being an employee or manager in general. Um, so yeah, my name is Joe Kwan. Uh, my day job is I work for KPMG. Um, I also have a side hustle uh, teaching leadership uh, skills and with a special kind of angle to look at um, especially the um, aspect of if you're an underrepresented professional, what that means in terms of showing up as a leader uh, at work where maybe there aren't a lot of leaders currently who look like you. Um, so I love presentations. I love, uh, you know, teaching, facilitating. So really excited to be here with you and your audience. Oh, thank you. And and it's, uh, you know, I've learned a lot from reading your feed on LinkedIn. Uh, you've you brought up technology to me that's used for presentations and it's uh, just been really, really useful. And, you know, and to get right into the topic, we wanted to talk to you today about executive presence. Now, I have I have kind of a, a loaded mind here about things I want to talk about with this. Uh, so I've I've had a 30 year career, so I, I'm, I'm so curious to talk to you about this. But just to start this off, tell me what exactly is considered executive presence? All right. Well, I'm going to give you an answer that no one ever gives. Okay. Right. Because normally when you ask people what executive presence is, they're like, I don't know. Or they give you some random triad or, you know, quadruple or quintuplet of traits that they say, communication, the way you dress, blah, blah, blah. And then you think about that and you're like, mm, yeah, I could dress really nice and I still wouldn't have executive presence. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what prompted me to think about executive presence and write the book, uh, because I talked to one of my um, sort of mentors who I respect a lot. And I asked, you know, what topic would you really like to learn about? You know, after I wrote my first book on charisma and she was like, Joe, if you wrote a book on executive presence, I would read it. So then I started, you know, researching it and there was nothing good out there. I was like, none of these definitions really will let me have more executive presence, which means if you ask me, I can't tell you, right? Like if you're managing someone and you say, you need executive presence and they say, what is that, Joe? I say, I don't know, but you need it. It's not really helpful, right? So the definition I came up with, and, and we can um, you know, pick this apart as, as we go through the episode um, and feel free to agree or disagree, uh, is executive presence is the ability 
It's an ability. You don't have to be born with it. It can be learned and improved. It's the ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. That's all it is, right? Do people believe? It doesn't mean you can lead well, but people believe you can lead well in a specific situation. So maybe you inspire confidence as a firefighter, but you're not good at walking dogs. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And that's, you know, it it I, I have to tell you that takes a large weight off me. Um, because there's a there's a feeling I've always had towards executive presence. You figure like the last 30 years, the way I've visioned it was that mm. it used to be suits and ties, right? Mm. And then there was the the rebellion against suits about uh the like the tech disruption age kind of about 15, 20 years ago. And your executives were sitting on beanbag chairs and tech incubators coding, you know, <laughs> and you go in, you're, the CEO is on a couch, like falling asleep, you know, with his, with his Converse sneakers up in there. And then it went now to the business casual look where it's the button down shirt and um, the, the, the blazer and the khaki pants and the shoes, you know, so I, I did think about this and, one thing that was in my mind throughout the whole thing, I seem to have a knowledge of executive presence from men. And it's okay. not, I don't, I don't see one. Is this, is this cultural? Like, what is this about that, that uh, the look of executive presence, does that exist with? Um, okay. Let's just call a, let's just call a spade yeah. a spade. Everything yeah. is harder, yeah. Iris, right? For women in leadership. It, it just is. Period. It, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yes. Because you're a woman. Yeah. And people expect you to be more emotional and more, you know, just have all of these feelings and do things differently, whereas you don't necessarily do that. I mean, Joe, your major word, which is one of my favorite words in the world, is charisma. The name mm. of your book. It is what it's really that what kind of embodies executive presence as well to have yeah. some sort of charisma because those charismatic people are the ones that you want to follow. So you, those are the ones that you want to have lead. And I think yeah. that that is just a, a, a great, I don't know. It's just something that a leader or individual with executive presence just has naturally. I don't know if you can learn charisma. It's just something that you have. So I think those charismatic leaders regardless of being male or female are the ones that people want to follow yeah. and they well, want um, them to, to lead. What do you, what are I, your thoughts? I, I agree that uh, charisma is very uh, powerful. Um, I do believe it's an ability. Um, I also believe that um, it's very difficult to teach, right? Some people. It is very difficult. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then to Steven's earlier point, you know, you're asking about the look, right? Like the way mm-hmm. people dress. So the way I always approach that, uh, you know, when I'm teaching executive presence is what's the second word in executive presence? Presence. It's not executive what? dressing. Right. No, it's presence. <laughs> you Doing. stumped me. I'm like, it's presence. It's presence, right? We don't yeah. say, hey, look like an executive, right? We don't say that to people. We don't say, hey, Stephen, yeah. if you just dress like an executive, we're going to make you a CEO. No one says that, right? They say, we want you to have the presence, which leads us to the sort of the next natural question. 
how do you have the presence that inspires confidence? What is that? So curious to get your thoughts on that, Stephen. That's that's a very interesting question because I I think I've suffered a little bit from imposter syndrome uh, through throughout the entire <laughs> throughout my entire career. You know, I'll I'll just give you a quick background. Um, I come hmm. from a family um, where my stepmother was a senior executive on Wall Street back in the eighties, which was next to unheard of. And I saw the fights wow. that she that she went through, um, and hmm. I saw the effect it had on her. Uh, my sister is an executive now, you know, and so I always kind of felt like I could not measure up to that, you know, so anything I ever did was always kind of rebellion of that. And I just never, I've been a leader of teams and I've actually managed and I've been a thought leader and I've been a community manager. I've been a very visual person in a company, but still, um, I shied away from the look, so to speak. You know, and and I guess I was like anti anything that people seem to like. And I, I don't even know how mm -hmm. to express, you know, explain that. But I just, you know, I, I always wanted to be like the leader of the molehill gang, but not the, <laughs> not the <laughs> if you know the cartoon, but it's a, um, the leader of the molehill gang who um, but not the one that can lead like 300 to 500 thousand people, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I don't even know where that comes from. But uh, yeah, I I, I, I kind of got lost a little bit there. But yeah, it was it, it. A lot of it does come from I think from my upbringing, though. Like seeing um, the executives, what they've gone through. My family have mostly been women, and it it yeah, seems it's very interesting. Yeah, and it seemed like such an ugly game. I was like, I'm not going to play that game, you know. So I I just you know I don't know. I don't know. I, well, I hope let, me, let me ask. Uh, let me ask Iris a question. Right? You 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 walk into a room. There's a bunch of people in the room. Someone's really sad. Right? Do they have to tell you they're sad or dress a certain way for you to feel the sadness? No, absolutely not. No. How you can how just can tell? Is it is it is it magic? How how come you can tell? I don't know. It's maybe empathy. I don't know. It's a. I'm not really sure. I don't think anybody's really asked. I just always assumed it was just this innate quality of mine. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a survival skill. So let's yeah. take the opposite. You walk into a room. There's someone very angry and large in the room, right? Mm -hmm. You know. I know. Stephen knows. Oh, okay. Maybe I back out of this room and come back a little bit later because if I try to engage with this person, through no fault of my own, you know, I, I may get the brunt of their anger. Right? It's yeah. a survival skill. We're social animals, and we have this ability to tell the state of other people. So to me, that's the key that unlocks executive presence. It's tapping into states of being that when people are around us, they're like, wow, this person is the person we should be following. Not because they're dressed a certain way, not because they talk eloquently or have a nice title. All those things are kind of shortcuts, and I'm not saying they're not important, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. fundamentally, it's that state of being where the person, it inspires confidence and trust in you that you should be the one that they're leading and not. And so that's the key. Like, how do you get those different states of presence? That That's the key that unlocks it all.
Do you know, you touched on something there, and I, I think I want to change my answer from earlier. It's because... <laughs> you can't change it. <laughs> because I think that the um, the way that the, the strengths that I've always had, and I felt like the internet maybe saved me in a way from this, mm. was that um, it gave me... Um, a, a You know, I've always been very empathetic. I, I just It's mm. just for years and years of customer service. I also got my first degree in performing arts. So, which is the mm -hmm. act of, you know, the act of looking at someone and being able to read what they're thinking or feeling and responding mm -hmm. to it. So I, 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 you know, I had that experience though, but then as I, as, as time went on, I felt like I was often judged by my height, my stature, my, you know, the, the, the way I look, I look very young, by the way, I've, you know, mm -hmm. as some of the other day it was mistaken me for 30 and I turned 50 this year. And, mm. you know, and, and it's a, it was a thing that I always, I was kind of viewed as like a child. So mm -hmm. um, the internet though, gave me a wall and then mm -hmm. it was just about my words. And mm -hmm. then that's when I seemed to make the biggest impact was when I started to work for a website and had access now to this database of a hundred thousand customers. And you know, I would make this huge impact. And then when they met me, it was, that's you, that's you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's surprise. I think that was always kind of the thing. It surprised me. I was like, it's, it seems like there still is this like visual, um, people need the, the leader to look a certain way. And I just never bought into that. I, I don't believe it should matter. And I, I, I might still be part of that that uh, coding beanbag in the you know tech incubator kind of crew, but I just felt like it didn't matter. It, like looks didn't matter. You could, you know, accomplish anything. Yeah, you know but, what I, uh, you know what I call that, Steve? What's that? I call that the Tom Brady problem. Oh, what's that? Right? <laughs> you walk into a conference room. That's right? fan here. <laughs> right. Look, nothing against Tom yeah. Brady. Right. He's the goat. All right. Whether I like him or not. So you walk into a room. Right. Let's say Iris is the CEO. She just started a startup. She's the CEO. She is running things. Right. She's got her staff and she's running things. And maybe they're pitching to some new investors. They come in. Goldman comes in, whoever, BlackRock, they come in. They're pitching. Right. They want more funding. And so she's in there. She's getting ready. And someone stumbles in, maybe from the mailroom or I don't know, they're in the wrong meeting. Right. And this guy looks like Tom Brady. Right walks in, is just kind of trying to get his bearings. He should not even be in this meeting, right? He does not have the level or the leadership or the expertise to be in this meeting. He wandered in by accident. The Goldman people come in. Who do they think is the CEO of the company? The Tom Brady guy. Yeah, has to be. Right? <laughs> now, when he opens his mouth and they realize this guy doesn't know nothing about nothing, then that quickly dissipates, right? But think about you look like Tom Brady and you know what you're doing. All right. Think about what an advantage that gives you over everyone else who doesn't look like Tom Brady. Iris is shaking her head. Yes. <laughs> I did just, yeah, my whole life, I, I've just seen that happen. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of amazing. I call it, you know, I kind of call it that package. If you just have that package, you've got the, the looks and you've got the smarts and, you know, you could just convey that. Wow. I mean, it's, you know, you're going to go far. That's always been my thought when I've met those people. And yeah. I've met them throughout my life. 
And yeah, here's I, the problem with that. Here's here's the problem, Stephen. Yeah, but again, that's just yeah, it's perception is not mm. reality. Let's say you are the greatest CEO in the world, but you're disabled, <laughs> yeah. or you know you're gay at a time where you know being gay was really not acceptable, right? In that industry, or you know at that time of uh, civilization, you will not succeed, and the company, the market, your coworkers will not get the benefit of your brilliance mm. based on nothing other than the fact that you are, and I use this word um, very neutrally, an anomaly, mm. right? Everyone sees all the Tom Brady's, the fortune, you know, something I, I read a stat recently, like 88% of CEOs, CFOs, and COOs are, uh, are male, and something like 88.1% are white, right? So you're an anomaly, right? So I'm not surprised that no one thinks you're the leader, because there aren't very many leaders who look like you there, right? So mm. rightly or wrongly, that's just kind of the perception everyone, including me, I'm gonna have. I look around my own company and I look at the leaders, right? And we're doing pretty good with women, right? But so that's kind yeah. of the challenge where the cultural piece comes into play uh, as well, Stephen. Yeah. It, um, yeah. And, and you mentioned having a, a, a disability, which is actually something I do have. Um, I actually deal with epilepsy and it, and it is mm. something that um, there's generally a fear that if you are seen as weak once that they'll view mm. you that way all the time. And, mm. uh, and that was, that I, I, that was always a concern of mine that if somebody saw me get sick once because um, epilepsy is a little tricky, you know, if they saw me get sick once, then they would never be able to view me another way. That would be that, you know, stuck that way forever. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just always been kind of um, a, a thing that's, you know, been on my mind, but uh, um, you know, I, I want to touch on something here too, because I think it's important, you know, uh, especially like I mentioned my stepmom before what um, I don't want to sound unfair, Iris, please. Believe me, I ask, whenever I no ask words. questions, it's purely out of, curiosity no, you know me it's fine uh, absolutely um Go. what's what challenges do women face being uh you know becoming an executive today like i i know the challenges years ago that my stepmom dealt with and i've asked her to let me write about it and she won't let me you know it's 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 like that bad you know we're talking like nine to five dabney coleman dolly parton i don't know if you've seen the film but um it was it was bad in the late seventies and eighties, but what challenges do you think exist uh, today when you do have the support system of social media to back you up at all times? You know, what, what do you think is, is the issue? You're asking me, or you're asking Iris, cause it sounds uh, like a question for Iris. <laughs> oh, both of you, I guess. Yeah. I, I, Iris. <laughs> no, go with Joe. Um, no. <laughs> Spotlight is on Joe. Yeah, I, Spotlight I, yeah, is on Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, so, no, I, so, I'm only kidding. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't speak uh, for women by any stretch of the imagination. I can share what I have observed from women that, that I've worked with and how they've been treated, and you know, some women that I've mentored when they come to me and sort of explain what's going on from a leadership dynamic. So, I had a mentee of mine. Um, I knew from the second we recruited her that 
she was going to, to go far and do well. I knew, right? I could just tell that she kind of had the stuff, right? And unfortunately for her, at some point, she shifted into a more pure IT type role, which as all of us know, and all listeners know, is very male dominated. So now she's in charge of a team of all men, and she's giving them orders. They are not used to taking orders from a woman, right? So the problem for her is everything that she does, says, is potentially, not always, right? Not every guy is going to treat her this way, but the majority are going to view her not just through a lens of what she's doing and her position and role, which she already has the title, but also through her appearance and being of a woman. So mm. she says something a certain way, it's going to land on their ears and in their brains different because it's coming from a woman. Now, is that right? No, of course it's not. Is it expected? Yes. Is it going to give her problems leading? Yes. And I remember once she came to me and she had gotten a review and it was like so ridiculous. Like, like people were complaining about, you know, how she was treating them and wanted, you know, her to treat them more nicely. Right. And then uh, <laughs> I think she got asked to take like elocution lessons that like made me so angry. I was like, what? are you kidding? What is me? it? Like, the 1920s? Seriously. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and here's the thing. Her her manager, I know, is actually very supportive and not misogynistic at all. But it's just it just shows how prevalent this problem is. Like even today in society, yeah. people don't understand how to respond to a strong female leader and they cannot take the female i see iris nodding her they cannot take the female out of the equation it, it just mm. does not land the same way no because and again i'm older than everybody in the room right now um but <laughs> i think you know women are supposed to have a certain role and that's how i grew up but my mom was always a very strong woman Mm. And, you know, very well educated and and was, you know, worked and she would piss off a lot of people just by things that she would say or mm. how she would react. Um, but she was, you know, she was there and present and really powerful in her own right, because she broke down things that she went to college when, you know, her parents were like, you need to get married. And it's like, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not really ready. And that was very unusual for her, you know, for a woman in her time. So I had that growing up. Mm. And that's what I grew up with. Stephen had that in his stepmother. Yeah. Growing up. So maybe as a woman, it gave me some fortitude to be able to say, yeah, I don't think I like that. But it took me a long time to get there. Yeah. To, to be able to be comfortable in my own skin. Well, you you know, you, you make me think of something here. Um, how uh, is, is it ever going to be possible for us just by human nature to take the, the gender out of the equation? Uh, and, and I'll ask you. Uh, or the race or yeah. the race. I mean, or this is anyone yeah. who is not, I hate to say, you know, uh, my wife deals with a it. white yeah. male possibly, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. 
She's seen my, um, my wife, you know, I, I can't go into it really because <laughs> she still has a job, but yeah, but she deals, she deals with it too. You know, she's yeah, uh, absolutely uh, four foot. I mean, yeah. every woman does, but a woman of, of different race that is of color yeah. is going to deal with it even more so because they have several strikes against them as even I could, I mean, you've heard me, Stephen, is even as a Jewish woman hmm. and not I think if I were a Catholic woman, it would be, or a Christian woman, it might be a little easier mm. for some people. But the fact that, you know, even my, my, you know, religion comes into play yeah, um, on things as well. So there's so much discrimination that's out there. It's always been out there. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately, I mean, you and I may be lucky because people will look at us and make that assumption. Right. Of what so, we are and what we aren't. So, yeah. I mean, Joe, Joe, this is your this is your field, man. This is where you are. <laughs> this is what you talk about all the time. So, I'd love to hear from you. What yeah, do you think? Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, it's it's a great question. Um, I really love the fact that there are so many differences, right? In the people that we're going to meet, work with different backgrounds, customs, food, the way you dress, uh, even though we you know how you define a family, you know, your health, all those things. I think those make us stronger and better, but there's a catch, right? So the catch is not that we don't see people the way they are. That's just silly, right? right. If I see a woman or someone who, you know, presents as a woman, like, they want to be recognized as a woman. They don't want to be recognized as some androgynous, like, you know, weird nothing, right? Same thing with a right. man, right? So I don't think that's what you're asking for by any stretch of the imagination, Stephen. I, I, I think the key here is when I recognize your difference, do I see you now as a category or as a human being? Yeah. Right? Do I see you as part of my group and the best group is the group of humanity, right? Or do I see you as other outside my group? And that's the challenge, right? Because we're always going to see different groups. We're always going to identify differently and that's fine. I think the challenge is when, whenever I see a woman and she's leading or working for, and I see her as other, right? Not as a fellow employee, not as a fellow professional, hardworking, but I see her through that lens of the woman. That's when I start to get into trouble. That's when the unconscious bias kicks in, the discrimination. And frankly, I'm harming myself. Yeah. Right? Because I can't see all the things I should be seeing. I can't see clearly anymore because I have this sort of film over my eyes based on the category and not on the fact of what they can do and that we're all human beings, but it's, it's a challenge and we're still facing it today. Yeah. You know, I, I saw this actually close up and this, this isn't executive lives, but um, a local baseball team by me, um, had, it's called Staten Island Ferry Hawks. They, uh, they have a female baseball player on their team. It's a, and she's just a step away from major league baseball. So everybody is really great around here. Like we cheer her on, cheer her on. We love her. She's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, the kids love her. Everyone is just so supportive of her and it's lovely to see. And then one day I'm watching the game and she gets hit by a pitch. And suddenly you have the dynamic of the male throwing a ball and hitting a woman with it. 
And instantly in the crowd, there was like this kind of uh, paleolithic response <laughs> of of male being like, "What are you doing?" You know, Staten Island, right? And and uh, and the the women say like, "Hey, don't do that." But then we had to like dial it back instantly and say like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait." This is what she signed up for, you know. So it's it's this instant reaction of like trying not to be this and trying not to be that and say, oh, hold on. No. Okay. We can't do that. Cause that would insult her. And it was, I, I watched this just to watch, look around the stadium and see everybody kind of sit up in their seat and get angry and then sit back and go, no, no, that, that has to happen if, you know, it's part of the game type thing. And uh, I don't know. I just brought that up because I, I, I love seeing it. I love seeing people come uh, go from supportive to being brought out of that back to the kind of caveman <laughs> attitude towards things and then being dialed back into, okay, wait, we have to stop. You know, I see that kind of thing as progress. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting sociological uh, <laughs> event happening right in front of your Absolutely. Eye. It really, I, I could feel, I, I, we all felt it too, because she was hit very hard on the arm and mm -hmm. You could see she she winced and she's not that big, but she's very fast and she's a great pitcher and so. And I just thought, like, how many men in this in this stadium wanted to rush the field and say, like, how dare you? And and then the 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 women who felt the same way and and it was just instantly everybody pulled it back and said that would actually be insulting to her because she wants to play with everybody else and have it just kind of be equal, you know. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that's all I had on that. I think <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, you're lucky. You're lucky that everybody it seemed had the same reaction. Yeah, and came to that to mind because that doesn't always happen. Um, so, you know, Joe, I have a question for you as far yeah. as corporate is executive presence. Just is it? Are you just focusing on the corporate world, or because I, I see? executive presence can happen online too with people you've never actually met. So yeah. what do you, you know, what's your, your thought on that? Yeah. So like in um, person versus online. Yeah. I get that question about virtual a lot um, specifically in the corporate context, but I think it exists everywhere. Right. Cause if you yeah. think about executive presence, um, it's helpful to, to break down the word executive, right? It comes from uh, the root Latin word is execui, which means to carry out. So what is an executive? Why do you get to be an executive and someone else doesn't? Because other people have decided you're the one who's going to get the stuff done, right? right? So you get it done online, you get it done in the boardroom, you get it done on the baseball field, right? You're, you're the captain of the team. Right, that's all that is. Um, so, when you look at it that way, you can start to see that no matter what arena you're in, right, whether it's mm -hmm. virtual or physical or hybrid, are you contributing in a way through your presence first and actions follow from the presence that help get the thing done that everyone wants to get done, right? So, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're um, on a group meeting. It could be a community meeting for a nonprofit. It could be a corporate meeting. doesn't matter. And you keep interrupting and not in a good way, right? Maybe you're the boss, but you keep interrupting. Ideas can't flow. 
how do people feel about you, Iris? Do they feel like you have executive presence? Do they want to attend your meeting anymore? No, they do not. No. Now let's because flip I it. keep interrupting. I don't let them think. Yeah. Now let's flip it. What if you're the boss, but you're actually quiet in a way, and you ask other people questions, and you facilitate other people to speak? Now, do people feel you have executive presence? Now, notice you're doing very little. But how do they feel about your executive presence? I would assume very differently because I'm not getting in their way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing I teach is the six degrees of executive presence. There's more than six. It just helps us think about the frame. Mm -hmm. So the six that I share, and it roughly spells out presence. (laughs) Not exactly. Um, (laughs) That's okay. You tried. (laughs) Yeah. Is proactive, right? Who wants an executive who just waits for bad things to happen, right? You have that state of being that like, I'm I'm, I'm preparing for whatever's gonna happen. So proactive's the first one. Resolute, nobody likes a flip-flopper, right? As soon as something is politically, you know, you get some pushback, now the boss changes everything, right? Because it was unpopular. No one one wants to follow someone like that. Equanimity, it's just a fancy word for being calm under fire. Right? You don't want the boss who, as soon as something goes wrong, they start running around. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Stillness is the next one. So P-R-E-S. Stillness basically means you don't do a bunch of useless stuff. You save your power for when it's the right moment to do something. Right? Like I use the metaphor of um, Olympic swimmers when they're on like the starting block. You know, they're not jumping up and down. They're like statues until the buzzer goes off and all their power explodes into the water, right? So stillness unleashes power. People think that stillness is passive. It's not actually. Um, Engaged, you know, you want, want, when people come to you with a problem or come to you with an exciting proposal, are you engaged or are you just like, oh, don't worry about it, just just go away, right? Uh, And finally, confidence. it's very, very difficult. I won't say impossible. It's very, very difficult for people to have confidence in you if you don't have confidence in yourself. So these are all ways that you can show up in a meeting. Not, you're not all these things at once, right? But usually one or two of these things are needed for the situation. And if you can bring that state of being and actions appropriate for your level or whatever you're doing follow, all of a sudden, doesn't matter what your title is, everyone wants you at the next meeting everyone sees you as a leader or a future leader. Wow. That's a, a bit of, perfect. It's, it's wonderful. It, it, it just kind of stunned silence on my part, I guess. <laughs> I absolutely love it. You know, I, I got to speak with the uh, um, CMO of Podcastle yesterday. And oh, nice. um, it was it was interesting because I felt that he asked me about my experience using this uh, service. Mm-hmm. And then he let me talk for about I guess five minutes I'm just ranting and and then he cuts me off and says I'm going to stop you right there and how about I just ask you some more direct questions you know and you can give me faster answers and I and I laughed right away because I knew right away I said yeah I know I'm talking too much but he brought that out you know it made me see like just by his actions like okay yeah I this guy can save me you know I I I need to just kind of cut down on the chatter and and uh let him kind of dig out what he needs so you know i i i always get that um i'm intimidated by it to be honest with you uh 
I, I don't know what that is, but it's it's a fascinating thing. Like when I see executive presence, I'm always kind of uh, taken aback because I think I kind of wish I had that ability. You know, um, it just uh, I don't know. I think I like being a warrior too much. If that makes sense, you know, like kind of digging in and getting hands dirty. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, any final thoughts, Joe? I know we've been keeping you here a long time, and I, I know it's Friday. You probably want to get away for the weekend. So. <laughs> any final yeah, tips no, you no, could share? Or? No, no worries. Uh, this has been a pleasure. Just enjoyed so much speaking uh, with you, Iris and Stephen. Um, you know, the last thing I'll say, and, and this is something I've been formulating a little bit more recently, um, is, you know, there are three things you need to unlock your full potential as a as a professional, as a human being, right? The first one, we all already have it. I call it your spark, okay? No one can be Steven, only Steven can be Steven, right? Your experiences, your ideas, the way you exist in the universe, you are perfect in that way already, right? You don't need anything else to be Steven. Same with Iris, same with Joe, right? We're all neither better or worse than each other. We're all amazing and have unlimited potential, right? But we're not all going to fulfill that. Why is that? The second element we need is what I call the, the, the fuel, right? You need effort. You need training. You need those experiences that really continue to develop your spark, right? So if you think about um, like a combustion principle, right? You have the spark and you need the fuel. But what's the third thing that you also need for fire or for combustion? Besides a spark and fuel, what's the third thing that's that you need? Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Wow. Uh, High I, school I, physics. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say. Ignition. Fire or something. <laughs> <laughs> What, 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 do, what do firefighters often, you know, try to do or, or tell you not to do like when there's a fire? Because you don't want, it makes it worse if you add more of this to the fire. Oxygen, right? Oxygen, yes. right? Exactly. Yeah. You can have a great spark and tons of fuel, but without oxygen, nothing combusts. Now, what is oxygen from a corporate or professional or personal perspective? What is oxygen? Gosh, I think it's the, for me, I, I just always saw it like the uh, the breath that you take before making a decision or the, the people who can actually take a breath and then not lose control. I'm speaking I've, metaphorically. Oh, well, I, I'm not right? sure. The spark is you. The spark is you. The, the fuel is the effort and the oxygen is the opportunities. Oh right? You could be the best chess player in the world. You could be the best athlete. You could be the best podcaster. But if you're not getting the opportunities, then it don't, it doesn't matter. You're in the corner. Yeah. They put yeah. baby in the corner. No one gets to see your dance, right? <laughs> you're not getting mm -hmm. the opportunity. And, you know, the kind of the revelation I had is executive presence is one of those tools you need to get more of those opportunities because people give opportunities to people they believe will reward them for giving that opportunity, not the person who they think is nice or, you know, is 
good looking, although good looking people often get opportunities that they don't you know, necessarily deserve, right? But if we're just talking from like a typical non-corrupt perspective, right? Like <laughs> a managed, Very good point. With, with integrity, they're gonna give that opportunity to the person with executive presence, Yeah. right? So that kind of really was like a revelation for me. It's not just mm-hmm. that people think you're great and you're a leader and you're going to get the promotion. No, without those opportunities, you cannot fully develop. And that yeah. to me is sort of the, the real power of executive presence. Not, not that people think you're great. It's that you get access to all or more opportunities than you would, even though you're smart and working hard, you're not going to get those opportunities without executive presence. That's wonderful. I I love that. Yeah. You know, I I think I'm going to stop here, like while we're ahead, because that that was just wonderful. And and <laughs> Joe, Joe, I know. Joe, thank you so much. Really, it was thank you, such Joe. A, such a pleasure to have you. And again, if you'd like to hear more uh, from uh, Joe, your podcast is called Diversity Bites, I believe, right? And yep. of course, you, I, I know we can. You can always find him on LinkedIn by typing in. Connection counselor. I know that always comes up. So that's what I always (laughs) use. All right. Well, um, Iris, Joe, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I just wish you both a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. And um, thanks a lot. All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye, everyone. (laughs) This has been Job Therapy with Iris Zimmerman and Steve Lowell. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and not necessarily the opinions of Find My Profession Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us on LinkedIn or at findmyprofession.com.